All right, everybody, welcome back to Jason Redmond's Moving the Needle, the show that is pushing everyone out there to be better, to find that peak performance, and we do it through interviewing some of the most influential thinkers, thought leaders, influencers, CEOs, athletes. It doesn't matter. We're looking for those deep conversations with those individuals that are out there that have truly set the bar high. They have figured out how to go from the lowest of lows to the highest of highs and continue to motivate and inspire today. We've had some amazing guests and I tell you what, today is no different. We're going to get deep with a uh, with a guy that I've become friends with. And, and if any of you really know me, I am a deep thinker. I like to think, I like to analyze why do human beings do what we do? How did we get where we're going? How do we analyze ourselves? And my guest today is no different, man. He wants to peel that onion back on on human physiology. Why do we think the way we do? And how do we become the best versions of ourselves? So today, my guest is one of the world's leading experts on elite performance. He was a former Olympic cyclist, and he became fascinated by uncovering the secrets of elite performance at a very young age, and he dedicated his life to the pursuit of them. Today, he coaches individuals all across the nation, even internationally, to help them achieve their goals and get the most out of their time and their unique God-given talents. He's worked with professional athletes, hundreds of Olympians, leaders, CEOs, not and, and, and just incredibly famous, influential people from around the world. People with names that you may recognize, such as Tiger Woods, Richard Branson, Lance Armstrong, Vice Admiral David Buss, and countless others. So it is my great honor to welcome to Jason Redmond's Moving the Needle show, elite performance guru and coach, Dr. Jeff Spencer. Welcome to the Moving the Needle show. I am excited and let's move this needle. Yeah, baby. It's what it's all about, man. You and I both. It is about how do we help others move the needle. And you've done it with so many people. You've done it in your own life. And uh, what's interesting about a lot of people who I think share our mindset, some it happens later in life, but for a lot of us, it's at an early age. There's something within us that just says, hey, I want to try and motivate and inspire other people around me. And for you, it was like that. There was something in you that was ticking and you were super young, super young when you decided you were, you were going to become a world-class cyclist. So what, what do you think started that fire at such a young age? I mean, people tell me, that at 14, when I decided to become a Navy SEAL, that was young. But you were, you were how old when you voiced to the world, hey, I'm going to be an Olympic cyclist? Well, I was actually seven. And I just thought that to be an Olympian would be the coolest thing ever. And I wanted to march into the stadium on the opening day parade. I, I did, actually didn't know how I was going to do it. And then when I was 10, I showed some really unusual talent on a bicycle. And I said, well, you know, this is the trip and this is how I'm going to do it. And uh, with that, I was an open slate. I was a willing kid. I had the self-start gene. And uh, I had an angel come into my life who was my cycling coach. He was a three-time Olympian, five-time national champion. And what was unique about him is that he taught me how to win. He said, Jeff, uh, winning is a skill. And it's a process that when you develop and you practice and you own it, that's how you get from where you are to where you want to get to. So let's not worry about the performance side of it. Let's talk about how is it and what is it that you need to know to know how to win consistently, predictably, and repeatedly? I owe a lot to him. 
And so we had a 10-year target between 11 and 21 for the Munich Olympics. And I dedicated myself to that faithfully. And uh, I did to get a scholarship to go to University of Southern California where I was studying sports science. I come from a welfare family. Last time I saw my dad when I was 13, I had another angel show up when I was 18. Uh, and he was a Renaissance man. He was born in the late 1890s. And uh, he was uh, uh, someone that took and crafted more my soul. And uh, he was an artistic genius. And he chose me to be his apprentice. And what he did is during our breaks and while we were creating his artistic masterpieces, he would play classical music to me. He would read to me the great poets and the philosophers. And he said, I need to fill you up on this stuff. And I had the capacity to be able to absorb that. That gave me uh, another dimension to myself that when combined with my coach and my natural inclination to be a self-starter, when I was 21, I did become an Olympian and I owe everything uh, to them for crafting uh, what was in me and tease that out of me to be able to have the capacity to do that. So that was the Olympic side of things. And um, I can only say that the Olympics was uh, a life altering experience. Number one, what it took to get there was a 10 year investment of my life. I was responsible for what happened. Well, what if I didn't make it? I was still responsible for that 10 years. And what was it like competing, you know, where you're truly going into battle, where only one man walks away victorious? And on the other side of that, when you come home from that experience, how does it change you as a manifesting human being? So, again, one of the most pivotal experiences of my entire life. So I want to pause there for a second. I want to get into uh, what it was like to go to the Olympics and touch on those things. But I want to back up for a second because there's two key things I, I want to address. Number one, you, you credit your success to these two amazing individuals. And I think so many of us out there, we can look back and, and we can say, I know I do. I have several mentors who truly helped me. If it had not been for one of the key mentors in my life, uh, I would not have recovered from the leadership failure I had. I'd be, I, would, I never would have finished my military career. How did, did you actively seek them out? Or did they, you know, those journeys are always different. Did they just literally just kind of fall into your life? Did, was there a little bit, I mean, at 11 years old, that's pretty young to have the self-awareness to say, I need to develop a relationship with this individual. Or did they see in you the potential that you had and just invest in you? So, uh, and, and I have a follow-up question after that one. Sure. Well, I think it was a combination of both because I realized at a young age that I can't do this by myself. I have the self-starting gene, I have the potential to do it, but I can't be my own guide. And so rather than actively soliciting that, I kind of put out a call to the universe. I kind of summoned it through a petition like, hey, if there's someone out there, it would be great for them to show up. I didn't really use those words, but that was what was in my heart and within my soul. And those people kind of showed up on cue because I didn't know what I needed specifically, but I do and I did know that I needed guidance. And that's how that all worked out. And why that's important is that that's pretty much how I live my life now, is that I think my responsibility is to be mindful of what my needs are and to be honest about whether I can fulfill them or not. And where I can't, I'm not going to spend the time to develop the skill that maybe I don't have. Why don't I just look for and find the best? And if there's a resonance, then we can both have a meaningful exchange of experience that enriches uh, both of our lives. 
I love that. That's such a powerful statement where you talk about that I'm not going down a road where it's not uh, in the best interest of me or, or really maximizing my strength. So many people do that. They, they want something so bad, but it's not really in their lane. It's an unrealistic mm-hmm. goal. Mm-hmm. So that's so powerful and finding the right mentors to help us. The, the mm-hmm. second question I had, and it just, you talked about how your, your second mentor, who was this Renaissance man, he just inundated you with knowledge and said, I want you to read this. Some of the great philosophers, some of the great thinkers of our times, you know, Aristotle and Plato and yeah. Machiavelli and, and other individuals like this as we go forward. And something I'm noticing is, is that is, is fading away in society. Um, that, that people are not growing up reading these things anymore. You know, we're, we're, we're transferring to this digital age where we're more focused on watching um, digital productions of things. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but are we losing um, some of this rich history and this rich thought process from really truly great thinkers that were way ahead of their time? Mm-hmm. I know you and I, we, we, are, we are students of the human psych. And uh, one of the things that I've found from traveling all over the world is humans, humans are humans no matter where you go. And I'm willing to bet that you go back 2,000 years, people are still the same. You know, we're just exposed to a little more. So do you think we're losing out? And why do you feel it's so important to constantly educate ourselves <laughs> and look back on, on his, deep historical uh, texts and contexts like that? Well, first off, history doesn't lie you know, our expectations and our thoughts about what may deliver can be deceiving and deceptive, but history doesn't lie. So to me, it's really important that we have some level of reference for reality, for making good choices. And to me, history does tell us a lot. The champions have already told us what to do if we take the time to listen, but most of us have a human impulse to do certain things that maybe is fear-based, but the champions only do those things that create predictable excellence. And so just a quick story here, I was working with an athlete recently, it was a scholarship client of mine, and he had a chance to win a national championship, and he was eight years younger than the two other competitors that he would be competing against for the national championship. And I told him, well, look, you know, there's, you can't do any more training here. I know that everybody says you just got to keep sharpening the blade there, but there's a fine line between ultimate fitness and overtraining an illness and injury. And so you're at that line, like right now, you, you cannot possibly do anything more. So we have to find the advantage some other way. And I told him, well, you told me that between zero and 10 years of age, you play the violin and you haven't played it for the last 10 years. I suggest that you get your violin out and start playing your violin again, because there's rhythm. That's an historic uh, event in your life. It's a process. It teaches you pacing. It's graceful. And if you bring that back online, that's going to be worth a half a percent in performance. And then he did that. He thought it was crazy, as most people would. But he went out there and he actually crushed these guys to be winning his first national championship. And the reason why I bring this out is that most people think that if you stay and do what your main objective is, harder and longer, you're going to get there faster, better. And I'm here to say that's not really true. You can only do so much in any given point in time in one particular area, but if we if we engage in other things that give us different perspectives that we can bring into that world, then that exponentially grows that which we are considering to be our primary ambition. And that's why we're always better, like the Soviet Union, the uh, historic uh, 
process by which the Soviet athletes dominated the world, every one of those athletes was in college. It was mandatory. If you're going to be a great Olympic athlete, you're going to college. And even though you're on the road, you're going to study while you're on the road because you need to be informed. You need to be educated. You need to be literate. You need to have a hunger and thirst for innovation that you're not going to get by being better at what you're at. You're only going to get that by bringing something from the outside into it. And that's why I think being a student of history is important because that's where we learn our lessons of what to do and what not to do. Uh, I believe that we need to uh, remain a student in everything that we do so that the mind remains active in our ingenuity and our creativity is in the forefront of our experiment, uh, uh, you know, of our experience to craft our unique forward to be able to put out the best of us literally every time we show up to, to perform. That to me is uh, an essential necessity. So we, we used to have a saying in the SEAL teams, work smarter, not harder. There you go, man. And yeah. uh, it's, it's perfect. It's so true, especially coming from a group of guys that sometimes, you know, we would describe ourselves as knuckle draggers and, you know, just yeah. apply a little more brute force to this problem and we'll fix right. it. But right. not always right. the case. Let, let's speak of history. So let's go back to when you were, uh, when you, when you came into the Olympics, such a historical event. I mean, we go back to, you know, thousands of years to when the Olympics were created. And, and now you're a part of this, you're a part of this rich tri history, the traditions. What was that like? And, and this really started your journey of, of looking around at these other champions. I mean, every country putting forth their best, literally the best they could find in that category to compete. And you were, you were one of these individuals. What did you learn from that? And what was that experience like? Well, first off, um, gratitude is the most important word that I can uh, say first here, because if it were not for you know, the contributions uh, of Americans to the U.S. Olympic Committee, it would have been possible for me to find my way there. And also to those people that helped me out. I had friends, I had family, I had mentors, I had benefactors that all played a role in my being able to make it to the Olympics. And I felt that it was almost like a, an honor ritual for me to become an Olympian because I felt that that would be the best way to say thank you to them because they gave uh, selflessly to me without any expectation of anything in return that I could not have given myself because the means just weren't there to make that happen. And so that gave me an extra level of uh, purpose. It gave me an extra level of drive to be able to acknowledge those people that had they not been there, there's no way that I could have done it. I was a willing kid to show up and turn the pedals and do what was ever necessary, but I owe it all to them first and foremost. The other side of this is that uh, you know, aspiring to be an Olympian, yeah, that's a pretty lofty goal, but I think that we have to decide what our goals are. We need to be committed to whatever that is to test the waters. And I feel that part of life's experience is, I, let me say this, why I did it is that I felt that uh, I needed to honor what that calling was for me that because I was never, I was not an angry athlete. I wasn't doing it to show people that I could when they told me I couldn't. That wasn't why I did it. You know, I did it because I was called to it. I wanted to honor the opportunity. I wanted to showcase that there are other ways and other motivations for being able to do things. And I feel that all of us by nature, we have a, an exploratory side to us that's an adventurer that wants to be challenged by the unknown. And 
when we recognize that and we have the courage to step into it and give it a try, then we can live a life without regret. And we can stay confident in what our abilities are because we know our edges. If we don't make it, it tells us where we need to improve. That's a gift. And so uh, those are some of the primary things that I learned and processed to get to the Olympics. Competing in the Olympics has its own set of uh, things that I think are, 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 are valuable, but those are the things certainly to get there. And you, you've taken these things, but, but along the process, I mean, I, I talk often about life ambushes. I talk about these <laughs> catastrophic moments that come yeah. along and, and they hit all of us. They hit all of us. So on your journey to the Olympics, did you have any of those? Did you get struck by an ambush and, and you know, you find yourself sitting on the X and you're like, man, how do I go forward? Um, obviously you, obviously you did because, you know, you've gotten to where you are today, but there are so many people that, you know, they have dreams, they have their, their goals that they're going after and bam, some life ambush comes along, they find themselves on the X and they just, they lay down and they settle and just, they never get back up from it. They let those hopes and dreams die. You obviously didn't. Did you have a moment like that? And what enabled you to get back up and drive forward? I think first and foremost is that uh, there has to be an inherent trust in the process. If you're called to it and you believe in it because it was revealed to you, you have to trust the process because there are going to be a lot of unknowns that you don't know how you're going to step into those things that you may be called to do that you've never seen before. So you, you have to learn to trust the process for sure. The other thing is that you have to be face faithful to executing that which has to get done right now. Don't try to save it for later. If something has to get done now, you do what has to get done now, and then you let the next task then reveal itself. So, for example, for me, I knew that for me to become an Olympian, I needed to prove it to myself that I could be, and the way that I was going to do that is to earn a berth at the National Championship, National Cycling Championship, and if I could beat a national champion there, and if I could beat an, an Olympian there, then that was my confirmation that I could become an Olympian. So here's how it happened, is that I only had $15 at that time to buy a one-way ticket to the national championship. I didn't know where I was going to say. I had no idea, but I knew my first objective was to get there. So I put my bike on the plane. I flew up to Portland, Oregon. I found my way to the velodrome, you know, the venue where the competition would be held. I didn't know where I was going to stay. And... When I got there, um, at least I accomplished that. And I had earned a berth to compete. And when I got there, uh, I had no idea what I was going to do. But then I saw some friends that came up to uh, say hello to me, like a surprise. And they had a VW camper van. And I realized, okay, man, here's home for the next five days. And so I commandeered the um, Volkswagen van. I set it up. And when I <laughs> was sleeping at night, I, you know, I was fogging up the windows uh, for all the wrong reasons, I guess. But you know what? It's like I felt like I had the advantage because I didn't put my trust and my belief and my ability to perform in the hotel that I was sleeping in. I didn't need a $300,000 motor coach to believe that I was capable of winning. I didn't need the comfort of the four seasons that would empower me to win. I didn't need that. I felt like I really had the competitive advantage because I wasn't being too domesticated. I found a way to get it done. That's why we're given a mind, body, and a brain of the spirit. That's to figure out ways of getting things done. It's not about, hey, I'm doing my best. Forget that crap. You know, that's a self-imposed uh, limit without any further investigation. So I found a way to happen. I did not empower myself to 
have substitutes for what I needed to do for me. And uh, I was paired with the national champion in the, fi- in the semifinals. And so I beat him on the first of three rides. Nice. And so uh, he beat me the next two. Um, so I won a bronze medal. He won uh, his second consecutive national championship. But, but I went home with my gold medal because I knew that I could do it because I beat him one round. Yeah. And so I didn't know how I was going to get home. So I, I bummed a ride in a camper van. <laughs> you know, those old camper trailers that they put on the back of a, a, a camper. I, I put my bike in that. I, the guy drove home from uh, Portland to uh, Southern California. I didn't give a crap. It didn't matter. You know, you take things one at a time, you go all in, you hold nothing back. And to me, that was a really important milestone for me and how I've kind of approached everything when I find myself on the ground. Uh, that's how I generally pick myself up and get myself back in the game. I love it. And, and that really, I mean, between that, that uh, mentor that initially talked to you about, yeah. hey, we can build the skill, but really what we got to teach you, we got to teach you how to win to, right. to getting to that, that birth, uh, that, 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 that yeah. uh, earning that birthing spot. Uh, that really was probably the growth of what you call the champion's mindset. Yeah. So what? explain that a little more, and, and how are others out there? I mean, because I, I think this really was your process where you started to realize, <clears throat> not only can I build this, but there are others around me that I can help them build it. And uh, w- would, you, would you agree that some of that started to develop at that time? So what is the champion's mindset, and yeah. how, do you, uh, how do others out there start to achieve it? Well, when we talk about the champion's mindset, um, Generally, when people talk about mindset, they're thinking like mind over matter. Like, I'm going to crush anything that gets in my way. I'm going to have the will of steel. I'm just going to mow everything down. That's not what I'm talking about with champion's mindset. Champion's mindset is a bit, you know, like you're uh, in the military and you're walking down a street towards the unknown as part of the mission. And you have to have a street readiness as things pop up. You have to be able to recognize and know what to do with it to be able to move forward. You have to kind of be guerrilla warfare trained to do it so that you have the ability to engage life as a stuff of life surfaces moment by moment. And what I realize is that we actually have you know, two human nature mentalities that are at war with each other 24 hours a day for control over our decision-making. We have our fear-based survival instincts, like what do I stand to lose here, that puts us on the defensive. And if you play a defensive game, you can't win. But naturally, you know, fear and self-preservation survival is a process that we have built into our DNA that's faster than we can think. And it can deliver on survival, but it can't create excellence. It can't win a gold medal. It's not possible. And I realized simultaneously that we have this second mentality, which I call the champion's mind. It's a living, breathing entity that can see, sense, interpret, edit, and delete information. And what I realized is that because it drives us to create excellence, it doesn't get first dibs at every moment, but it can override those reflex survival instincts that we do have that can't create excellence and win gold medals. And so I found that there are uh, kind of cross uh, ways of engaging. So for example, given an opportunity in the Olympics, the effort that it takes the human nature might say, well, what do I stand to lose here? So it goes at it very defensively, where the champion's mind is, what do I stand to gain? 
you know, two different ways of engaging things. And the human mindset, it may be, well, I have to be perfect to win, but the champions don't think like that. You have to do the one or two things that count. You know, human mindset, those things that come naturally to us. In our introduction, you said that you've traveled the world and you've observed that human nature is relatively the same no matter where you go. Different language, different customs, I get that. But we do have this other side to us. And if we understand how that works, but yet we're told to go with our first impulse, I'm not so sure about that. Because first impulse, if it's survival, you're not going to win. And so we have to learn to train ourselves beyond that. So let's say that you're given an opportunity or you're given an accountability. You know, if we're given an accountability, human nature first is going to tell us, well, I'm, I'm doing my best. You know, champions, that's, that's a no-go. It's a no-fly zone. They've trained themselves that, no, it's not, uh, uh, I'm doing my best. It's like, I'll find a way, you know? So again, if we recognize that our first impulse isn't always in our best interest, and the question we need to ask ourselves is, is this aspirational? And is this taking me towards the winner's circle or is it dissuading me and I feel a hesitation and I find myself starting to pull back? And we have to be mindful that this uh, battle between these two mentalities, it's on 24 hours a day our entire life. And so those things that history tells us that we need to do, we have to fight for to keep the Mars by applying them vigorously day in and day out. Because the moment that we stop applying them is when we drift back into our human nature, fear-based survival instincts. And so uh, that's the way I see it. And that's the advice that I give to my clients. And that's how they become consistent, repeatable winners. Yeah, so many people, man, they let that fear drive them. It drives totally. all their decision-making. Decision it drives their lives. So, uh, yeah, yeah can, you just got to ignore it. And I, I want to say something about this is that that's part of our biology. We didn't ask for it, but it's always going to be there. And so when we see that arise in us, just know that that's the imposter us. That's not the real us. And we don't have to overcome that to become our best version of self. We just need to do the right action and not wait for that to dissipate. A lot of people think, well, you know, I need to let that dissipate before I take action. No, you don't. You take action now is a way of silencing that and stuffing it into the background. Yeah, so true. That's a strength of mine. I'm, I have been able to, I have plenty of doubts, but uh, it's never stopped me from driving forward no matter what. So, all right, well, this is, uh, so we're going to take a break because uh, we want to give a shout out, obviously, to our amazing sponsor, Bubs Naturals, and thank them and uh, get some, give them some love. And then we're going to come back with Dr. Jeff Spencer, and we're going to talk about now who he's worked with, what he's doing now, and how he continues to move that needle to help others build that champion mindset. We'll be right back. Today's show is brought to you by Bubs Naturals, producers of the best collagen protein on the planet. How do I know? Well, I use it myself, and I am super stoked they partnered with us on our Moving the Needle show. Guys, life is about moving the needle, and Bubs is about moving the needle in your life. The reality is we're all slowly dying, and only through working out, good sleep, and good nutrition can we slow that aging process. And if you're like me, you've had a few crashes and collisions along the way. That's why I added Bubs to my morning routine. My JR Overcome Coffee has one scoop of Bubs Collagen and one scoop of Bubs MCT oil to get me going and to take care of my joints like my damaged elbow. 
As many of you know, in order to move the needle, you've got to be a point man for your life, setting the example, leading, building discipline and structure. Glenn Bob Doherty did this in his life, and Bob's Naturals is honoring Glenn. You may recognize his name because Glenn was a former SEAL, and he was on the rooftop in Benghazi, sacrificing his life. So Bob's is sacrificing by giving 10% of their profits back to charities. So guys, if you want to support a great company, and if you want to support yourself, get 20% off your first order when you use promo code POINTMAN20 at bubsnaturals.com. That's 20% off with promo code POINTMAN20 at bubsnaturals.com. All right, guys, what's going on? It's Jason Redman moving the needle, and we, our guest today is Dr. Jeff Spencer. Like we always do, this is After Action Part One, where we dig into those critical nuggets of information that truly help you to move the needle. Holy smokes, man. Jeff Spencer, what an intellectual, man. I love talking to this guy. He's become a friend of mine. I always walk away just feeling like, man, that is so deep. And I there are so many... There's so many pieces of information, guys. I didn't even know where to go with this. Um, I've got notes and notes and notes of information here that I want to talk about. I want to talk about one of the very first things. This is a critical thing. Jeff talked about when he was a kid, one of the fundamental lessons he learned from his first cycling coach. He, he had the drive, he had the passion, and he showed the talent. But that's not enough in this life, guys. There's a lot of people out there with drive, passion, and talent. What his cycling coach taught him, he taught me how to win. Winning is a skill and a process. And and he said, don't worry about performance. He said, learn how to win predictably and regularly. This is such an amazing thing. It's one of the most fundamental things that Dr. Jeff Spencer teaches because so many people sabotage themselves before they ever get where they're going. They, They don't trust in the process. They second guess or they've developed this entire plan and then they actually get into the event itself, whatever it is, the competition, the fight, whatever it is. And then they second guess and they totally go off plan for whatever reason. We sabotage, sabotage ourselves in the end. You've got to learn how to win. Winning is a skill and a process. So that was number one. I just thought that was such an amazing piece of information. Number two, he talked about how fortunate he was to have amazing mentors. One of his first mentors was his his cycling coach who taught him how to win. And then he had this other mentor, this renaissance man who taught him about life, who taught him about there's so much more out there than just cycling, than just winning. He said, truly amazing people elite performers, needle movers, they are educated across the board. They understand so many things about life. And this individual introduced him to the world of what I is my second level, the Pentagon of Peak Performance. It's mental leadership. It's always challenging our beliefs. It's always looking for new ways to see the world. It's constantly educating ourselves. He introduced him to poetry, great literature, art, philosophy, philosophy. And I think this is such an amazing thing. We need to cultivate good mentors. I meet so many people that don't have any mentors and we need to go out and find them. This is a combination of understanding. You need coaches and mentors. And and Jeff had this. He was so lucky that he had individuals who saw his passion and desire and willingness to do the hard work. That's the key. You got to be willing to do the work. 
But then to have others out there who say, you know what, I believe in you and I'm going to help you by giving you more tools, giving you more content, giving you more, edu- helping to educate you more. I think this is amazing. Uh, my good friend, Bedros Koulian, who is a high-level coach and mentor, you can find him at bedroskoulian.com. He talks about success leaves clues. So by reading, by, by constantly seeking out new knowledge, we can do things without um, time collapsing, basically. This is something I've talked about before. I talk about in the book, Overcome. Instead of having to learn something on your own, and guys, I'm, I'm super guilty. I, you know, I have some people that say, oh, you're pretty smart. I'm not that smart. I got two brain cells, and every now and then they bounce together and make a spark. Uh, I sometimes like, man, I'm one of the slowest learners. But what I've come to learn is if I can read, if I can find somebody else that's done it before, this is where success leaves clues. And you can do better. You can move through things faster. You can enable greater success faster and move that needle. And that's what Jeff was talking about. So um, I also love the fact that Jeff talked about, he told the story of this young Olympian. There are so many out there that when, we're, when we have our mentors, when we get everything in place, when we've come to understand how to win, oftentimes so many out there think, if I, if I do it longer, faster, and harder than others, then I'll win. And that's just not always true. He told the story of the young Olympian. And, and this young Olympian uh, was going against some fierce competitors, individuals that have been older, that have been in the game longer, and he was intimidated by it. And his coach said, you know, you already have everything you need to win. But he knew um, that it wasn't going to be to continue to train longer, faster, and harder than others. It was teaching him how to not focus on that, to broaden his horizon. This is something I call margins of peak performance. If two competitors are doing the same things and they're both trying to grind out longer, faster, and harder, what are the individual little things they can do, those margins on the outskirts that they can either increase the positives or decrease the negatives to make them better? This is margins of peak performance. And in this instance, he told about this young Olympian that the coach... And the mentor said, you used to play violin, didn't you? Then the kid was like, yeah. He said, I want you to get out your violin again. And I want you to start playing it again. Because what this coach knew, what this mentor knew, is that the violin works both sides of the brain. I talk about this in mental leadership in my book, Overcome. When we play an instrument, when we learn a language, it, 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 it creates new pathways in our brain. It forces our brain to think in different ways. And it opens us up. It's creative. It does all these things. And what this coach realized, or at least what he believed, is this was going to be a margin of peak performance, a positive side. And, uh, and he actually took it and he went for it and he crushed it. He won. He crushed his competitors when he had his doubts. So guys, such an important thing, such an important lesson. The last thing I want to talk to you about is something big that Jeff speaks on, and that is the champion's mindset. He talked about those two mentalities, and it is just human nature. We, we, we came from the past. We came from this primitive past where we basically were hunters and gatherers, and frequently we were just trying to stay alive. So we are a fear-based organism. We are making decisions the vast majority of the time based on our survival. Thankfully, we live in a society that most of the time you don't have to deal with that. Obviously, when I was in combat, we had to condition ourselves. We had to build courage within our minds. We had to build processes to try and stay alive, to have a a winning team around us. 
most, so most of the time, this fear-based mindset says, oh, we don't want to fail. We don't want these things to happen. It's been applied into our everyday life. It sabotages us from winning. It sabotages that champion mindset. He talked about that it's one of the things that really stops people from driving forward and finding that success. But a champion's mindset overrides that fear. It says, what do I have to gain? The fear-based mindset says, what do I have to lose? And there were so many incredible nuggets of information he talked about when he talked about building a champion's mindset. But one of the biggest things, I thought it was the most powerful thing because I know so many people out there who make this mistake. So many out there feel like they have to be perfect in order to win. They grind and they grind and they train and they overtrain and they overthink and they do all these things because they're reaching for a level of perfection to win. And then there's this doubt in their mind because they say to themselves, well, I'm not perfect. So if I'm not perfect, then man, I probably don't have a chance at winning. And they're placing those doubts in their mind. But what Jeff said, this is so amazingly powerful. He said, champions recognize I don't have to be perfect to win. I just have to be slightly better than the others. Boom, holy smokes, man. That is the essence of the champion's mindset. So guys, it is about grinding. It is about putting the work in. Is it about looking for those positive margins of peak performance and increasing them and reducing those negative margins of peak performance? But day in, day out, trusting the process, and that's what builds a champion mindset. Oh, man, so many great tidbits of information. Dr. Jeff Spencer, whew, so smart. All right, guys, we're going to jump into part two. And this is Jason Redmond's Moving the Needle. We will be right back. All right, guys, welcome back to part two of Moving the Needle with Dr. Jeff Spencer. Jeff, you know the deal. The name of this podcast is Moving the Needle. What does that mean to you? Every day you're out there, you're grinding, you're working with amazing people, but I, I, everybody has different views of this. What does moving the needle mean to you? Well, to me, every day, every second has an opportunity for us to raise our game. And I think, you know, in my vocabulary, we have a moral obligation to do that because, um, we need to say thank you to our friends and our family and all those people that have helped us. And the way that we do that is by continuing to excel because they played a role in that. I feel it's also important that we continue to move the needle uh, because it's inspiring to other people uh, in terms of what's possible. And we're giving them a real life example of what that is. And if there's ever time in human history where we can't descend fast enough into mediocrity and give up everything that makes us unique, we certainly need now more than ever demonstrations of that that people can believe in. So if they see someone do it, then they can believe it, that they can do it themselves. Yeah. And it doesn't happen. You know, I think so many people have this idea of moving the needle is it's got to be this gigantic acceleration, like, you know, a Ferrari mm -hmm. coming out of the gates or a dragster. And I mean, <laughs> I know you understand and I understand, you know, it's small incremental advances yeah, over time. It's, it's doing yeah. little consistent steps day in and day out that lead to those big gains and those and building those champions. So you have, speaking of champions, you have worked with some amazing champions, uh, uh, nationally and internationally recognized names. When did you really settle into, you know, man, I really have the ability to help others move the needle and be champions. 
tell me about applying that and tell me about some of the unique and I'd love to hear if you're willing to share some of the unique individuals that really just kind of blew your blew you away that you know there are people that are coachable and then there are people that you know they take it and and they just blossom you know mm -hmm. they just you know like it, it, it's like gasoline to the fire <laughs> you know what what were can you tell us about some of those individuals that you were like wow you know I just I just lit the flame I just lit the flame you know yeah, well, you know, first off, I, I'll say that that's a characteristic that they all have. They, they want information, and they don't presume that they know everything. They're always open to alternatives. You know, they're selective about who they talk with, but the point is, is that they always remain students of their discipline. One very unique characteristic, and they don't wait too long to get information that they need to carry the momentum forward. They seek counsel quickly. So, um, well, yeah, number one, uh, I first, I've always had this ability to know how to craft the smoothest path forward and avoid preventable problems and seize best opportunities. I've always had that. Don't ask me. Channeling, I don't know. So uh, my, I've been in this high performance space for, God, 50 years now, almost, as a participant. Uh, as an advisor, I started in 1979, so been around for over 40 years, still in the game at the highest level. Uh, some memorable experiences. I, I mean, I, I love my time working with U2, helping them prepare for a world tour. Uh, a world tour is 131 venues over 18 months. It's like an Olympic marathon, uh, you know, times a thousand. You, you uh, too. That's like a, uh, that was like a band, right? You yeah. Know? Just, you know, you may, yeah, you know <laughs> some, that, some internationally yeah. famous guy. What yeah, was his name? Bono, so, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just yeah. a few, a uh, few of those. Yeah. But, you know, I, I love those guys. And I guess to summate what was so impressive about them is that I remember once uh, after rehearsal, you know, we kind of all went back in this room that they had built backstage and there was couches there and they had these big video screens where they would replay the sets that they had practiced and discuss amongst themselves how they can improve it. And I mean, number one, to just be sitting there on a couch, just them and me was amazing in and of itself. But to say how they collaborated in their conversations to put themselves aside to craft and tease out how can we actually make this better and to really listen to each other and, and work together and honor uh, each of their uh, unique uh, contributions to creating the best possible performance was extraordinarily professional and inspiring and so certainly uh, people uh, should be mindful of that um, you know my work at the Tour de France I did I was involved in nine Tour de France's you know very difficult event it's like the ultimate life clinic and I can say then the, the, the teamwork aspect of it was uh, extraordinary because the riders, they showed up on time, they listened, they executed their assignments to the nth degree of perfection. Um, if a teammate was having a bad day, the rest of the team would rally and pull them back into the lead pack. You know, they showed up together, they won together and they left together. Uh, you know, Lance was an amazing, uh, you know, leader. Uh, his uh, preparation was meticulous his gratitude and thankfulness to the team. He would always let them precede him as relates to recovery procedures in terms of all the privileges that you think that uh, would be for the team leader, you know, and Lance is a bit of a radioactive guy. And to only say that, uh, you know, those Tour de France victories were extraordinary uh, in uh, being able to define what humans are capable of doing when your mind and body are at their absolute limits and we can all do a lot more than we think that we can do if we learn the skill of being able to push responsibly and dose out our energy and work together as a team 
in moments of challenge or in moments of difficulty, or you find yourself stuck in that place where you just don't feel like you're getting anything close back to the, for the time and effort that you put into something. You just keep putting one foot in front of the other until you hit critical mass and all of a sudden the volcano blows its top and you have an exponential leap. So that was certainly that I would say, um, you know, also, you know, with Tiger, uh, first session that we had together, you know, he asked me, so, well, is, is this serious? And he really leaned into the question. And uh, that's significant because people that play at the top, they know that there are no privileges that they are granted to not do the fundamentals correctly because that's the backbone on which prolific achievement is based on. They never presume themselves to be exempt from doing what has to go right consistently to be able to win on a predictable basis. Um, who else can I think of? Uh, you know, time with Richard Branson on his island uh, with some other entrepreneurs there. Um, Richard has a really wonderful sense of humor where he could always kind of see uh, a comic side to everything, but not comic in a detrimental way. But let's not take this too seriously. Let's make sure that, yes, this may be difficult, but we can find a path forward. You know, all, all those different people, and I love the touch upon the uh, Tiger Woods and, and yeah. you know, is this serious and bringing it back down to that basic level? Because I yeah. think a lot of people, they think when you get to a higher level, you're now operating at this advanced level, and you are, but it's built on that foundation. And you always got to go back to it. When in SEAL training, it didn't matter. I, I worked both, obviously, in all the platoons that I did and operating, but also as a training instructor. No matter what we did, we always started with the basics. We used to talk about, you know, we're going to crawl, we're going to walk, we're going to run. And even mm -hmm. though we had guys that literally, there were some of the best shooters in the world, we would start out and you would be shooting at the five-yard line at a three-inch dot. And, 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 and <laughs> you good. know, I mean, these were yeah. guys that literally could compete on a global level with their abilities to shoot and yeah. shot groups, but crawl, walk, run. And sometimes people who had never been exposed to our training would be like, why are you doing this? This is what <laughs> yeah, like totally. beginners do. Well, yeah. it was how we always did it. And we, but you know, we quickly accelerated through all those exercises, but it reinforced the <laughs> basics so that now all that became muscle memory. I know that you talk about, you know, uh, similar to Malcolm Gladwell, how many times do we do something, uh, you know, 10,000 versus 300,000 hour rules and things like that, that becomes muscle memory so that when you're at the advanced level, you don't even think about the basics. You're just going through the motions right. there and now you're accelerating the mental game. So phenomenal. Nice to hear that. Uh, you know, I think people need to understand that uh, people at the top of their game, they always go back to those basics. So let's shift for a minute. <clears throat> you know, I think people see, you know, these peak performance coaches, individuals like yourself, you know, Tony Robbins, you know, some of these other high caliber athletes and individuals. And I think sometimes they forget that they're humans. They're real people. They have real problems and they have lives and they have families and they have, you know, <laughs> the washing machine breaks and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> you went through a pretty amazing experience as a dad. And I know there's a lot of parents out there that are probably thinking to themselves, wow, I wish I could have this guy to be, you know, to, to whip my kids into shape or whatever. And, um, and obviously we have the ability to do that, but some of that comes from our own actions with our kids. Um, I'm excited to say as a dad, yeah. um, my kids aren't perfect. 
but I know many of the things I speak on, I watch now as they're older, they incorporate it into their lives without even thinking about it. But those challenges are still there. We had setbacks, and I know you have too. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that story and maybe some advice for other parents out there. I mean, you coach some of the highest people in the world, yet you still had some challenges as you were raising your daughter and going through that process. Yeah. Uh, when I was uh, 58, we adopted uh, a 10-year-old girl from Columbia. And uh, you know, we were called to do that. And uh, when we brought her back to the United States, uh, I told my wife, I said, look, you know, um, she doesn't speak uh, English. We don't speak Spanish. I guess we're going to have to start with sign language, you know, because we have no vocabulary. So that's where we started. And she had no school um, at 10. Imagine coming to the U.S. and being 10 with no school, really. And she had severe PTSD and ADHD from uh, severe uh, ongoing uh, mental and physical abuse, uh, parasitic ridden body. Every risk factor known to humanity was a 20 on a scale of 10 for a life that's going to go wrong. I mean, it was as difficult as it gets. And I told my wife, it's like, you know, to be her father, uh, we ask her to join us in our world and to deliver on that promise. She's already been let down by her family, her country. Everybody has basically stripped her of any sense of uh, decency. And uh, we have to deliver on this. And I said, I cannot work at the level that I'm working at. And I was at the height of my career at that time. And I said, I, I have to cut 90% of my career uh, off immediately starting tonight, tomorrow, I'm at 10%. And along with that went the income. But it's like, no, it's more important that I show up uh, to be of service to the obligation. I was fearless about uh, doing that. And I can honestly say that uh, the challenges associated with uh, that because my daughter was uh, like kidnapped from her family essentially and put into child services in Columbia and bounced around through a foster care system. She wasn't adopted for five years. So naturally she thinks something's wrong with me because nobody adopts me. I already got kicked out and discarded by my community and taken away from my parents. I mean, it was about as low as it gets. And then the challenges that you face bouncing around between different foster homes with a bunch of kids, you know, living together and you know, it's real messy should we say. And um, so uh, with every ounce of experience that I had, you know, in the high performance world, working with people, crafting talent, uh, and being able to manifest potential in people that couldn't craft that out themselves, I was pretty experienced in how to deal with this. And my daughter being raised as a thief, you know, a liar, a cheat, and a thief, and man, is she good at it. Um, uh, my wife cried every day for nine years and 10 months. Every freaking day I'd come home crying her eyes out. It was that difficult. You know, most people uh, give the kid back after a year. They cannot handle the disruption to the family, the lying, the deceit, the deception. They can't deal with it. And uh, so um, I'm proud to say right now that she'll be graduating from college in a couple of months. Um, she's just a, a great kid. Um, and so I guess I would share, what did I learn from this? Is that uh, number one, you can love anybody. You don't need a special reason to do it. You just decide you're going to do it. You know, it's, it's can be a one-way street. You don't need to get anything back from that to do it in situations like that. You know, it's an honor ritual. And so we stepped into that. Uh, you have to trust the process, you know, just to get through a day or an hour uh, is uh, sometimes seems insurmountable. And so you do what you have to do. Uh, and you don't concede anything for that which has to go right in the moment. Um, 
the other thing I learned is that you uh, never withhold or you always hold room for a miracle, the possibility of it. Because we did have that, literally. When you put the math to what we were faced with, it's like, nope, this does not compute. This can't happen. But it did. Because we kept putting one foot in front of the other, we dealt with what we had to go through at that time. It was really difficult to, to stay in the game when your back was against you without any guarantee that this was ever going to change. You know, there was a faith and a hope that it would, but no guarantee. Um, hardest thing I ever did. I mean, the Olympics was so easy compared to this. All you do is pedal faster than 300 million Americans and you go, you know, I've never seen anything like this, but let me say this is that I don't think if life is too good, we can be the best that we can be because there needs to be some event that forces us to ask a different set of questions. And when we start asking those deeper sets of questions, not just the superficial, you know, what am I going to have for dinner tonight? But, you know, what does this all mean? How am I going to survive this? What's on the other side of this? What's my level of commitment here? That forces us to find a deeper sense of capacity within us. And when that surfaces and we embrace it and we work with it and it becomes us and part of how we engage life moment by moment, that's where we can actually step into our best work as a friend, as a parent, as a mentor. Uh, and again, I feel like we're the lucky ones because my daughter called us to that level of inquiry that forced us to have to elevate our game to be able to be the parents that she deserved. Man, that is powerful. And I mean, I know there's so many people out there that are listening to this that are parents or they're struggling with something in their lives. and Stay in the game. Yeah, one foot in Stay front in the of the game. other and just love them and drive forward. I mean, yeah, I mean, especially right now. Um, yeah. 2020 has been such a, a crazy hard year. It has been a year of uncertainty, stress. Um, I just saw recently that um, some t statistics came out that suicides are up 200% in 2020. Uh, people are it. struggling. And what is... A lot of the athletes and, and individuals that you've worked with, you know, there are moments we struggle. There are those self-doubts. And I know there's so many people out there right now. What are some of the things that you've done to help people fight discouragement and, and to stay that course, to keep driving forward, to keep putting that foot in front of the other? What are some of the tools you've used to try and encourage them? Um, really, that, that, that's what I talk about, in, you know, in my program, Point Man for Life. It's about staying the course, you know, no matter what, stay the course. So what do you do to help motivate and inspire people when they're struggling? The first thing for sure is to locate where they are and what that means. Because if I can name on a map, like you're here in process, then their anxiety immediately drops and their brain has something to anchor to. Um, and once we've done that, then it's important to uh, be of counsel to them about what that means and devise a sensible plan to move forward. And it has to be in the right steps and the right increments of difficulty because we wanna make sure that their mind and their brain can see the pacing and the reach. And if the mind and the brain feel safe with what we're proposing, then again, the anxiety drops. And so we don't need to know all the steps to get to the bigger goal because we don't have enough information at any moment in time. But we can say, based upon where we are right now, we have visibility to see that between now and this next increment, these are the things that we need to do. These are the things that we need to do 
and if we can set what the micro steps are within that and show the pacing and the development of the skill required is doable and that the keyword is doable if they believe that they can do it because it's been shown to them it's not an act of blind faith of trying harder but if we can demonstrate for them where they see where we see that light bulb of i can do that on their face then they're going to stay in the game the next thing they need to understand is that critical mass over time will eventually lead to the breakout and so as long as we have the right metrics and we have the right pacing, we're going to get to that point where critical mass is hit, where we have that breakout. If we're not sure how to do that, that's where we need sound counsel. And the sound counsel should be from an informed individual that has experience in the area that we're pursuing. Because a lot of times, friends and family, though well-intended, may not really know the process. And they may something, may, they may say some things that are done within the spirit of support but may not be fully what has to go right and that's why i'm a big fan of always having someone on speed dial that if we have a question about something we've exhausted every possibility within our power to answer our own question if we can't do that then we should have somebody that we could call to get sound advice that tells us where we are what that means what the process is moving forward it's so true. And I think so many people out there, um, sometimes I can be guilty of this. You know, you don't have to do it alone. Sometimes we yeah. struggle. Uh, no, when I got long. all shot up and I was on the X in that gunfight, I never, I never would have survived if it hadn't been for my teammates, if yeah. it hadn't been for all these external assets that were out there. And, and, and sometimes you got to put your pride down and say, Hey, I need help. And it's amazing when we do that or when we are able to lean on somebody that can, can, help us stay the course when we are discouraged or we are injured or whatever is going on. So with every show we wrap up and you just, you have an amazing ability to, to really motivate and inspire at such, at such a high level. And I did want to say this, I want to several times, you guys that are not watching this, uh, you should go check out the YouTube episode. I'm going to, I'm going to give Jeff uh, some props because you frequently have talked about your age a little bit and where you were oh, when yeah. you started. How, how old are you right now? I'm 69. I'll be okay. You look like <laughs> you're 55 at best. I mean, maybe, you know, you look phenomenal. So you, you have taken great care of yourself. Uh, guys, there is, there is truth to having a positive mindset. There is truth to having a champion's mindset. Jeff isn't, you know... <laughs> He, he isn't uh, some guy that uh, he, he lives it. He lives it every day in his life. And this is what he's providing to people. And, uh, and I love seeing it, man. You, you know, you and I, we've had some great conversations. So yeah, if we, we were to summarize Dr. <laughs> Jeff Spencer into one word, what would that word be? Courage. And how would you define that? Courage, courage has so many different applications. How would you define that in your life? And not only that, in the lives of people that you are trying to drive forward to that champion's mindset. It's uh, to take action despite the overwhelming compulsion to succumb to our human nature's survival impulses. Yes. I love oh. this. That's, That's so it, strong. Man. It's so true. I mean, for so many people out there, the courage to act despite the doubts, despite the naysayers, despite 
I, d- despite wanting to give in to that fear, the fear motive that runs through us. So <laughs> it goes deep, man. I'm telling you, it's like, I, I think it's important to be mindful here that, you know, there's only one of us in all of creation and we all have the capacity to bring our uniqueness to humanity. And when we're the best at what we're best at, it allows us to show up with confidence and certainty to create a life of passion, purpose, productivity, and prosperity. It, it shows other people like what's possible. And it, it forces us to uh, maintain a vigilance to the reason why we're here, which is to develop and, and to showcase our talents. And before my daughter even understood a word of English, when she would leave every day to go to school, I, t- I would tell her, don't be average. Because I wanted to hear to her hear that from my mouth, so that her neurology and nervous system would get used to a different level of vocabulary. It would help reset her. And I do feel that every one of us has got a talent that we can develop and showcase that can enrich the human experience for not only the individual but also for humanity at large. There's always room at the top for the best. Amen. Challenge yourself. You know. Push yourself a little bit out of that comfort zone. It's what's ma- yeah. it's what makes you better. All right, Jeff, we got all kinds of amazing people that listen to the Moving the Needle podcast. They're entrepreneurs. They're athletes. They're just incredible individuals who, who are looking to become the best version of themselves. <laughs> Where can they find Dr. <laughs> Jeff Spencer so they can, they can get a piece of that champion's mindset? All right, well, thanks for the opportunity, Jason. Well, first, what I'm thinking here is... Uh, it would be www.beforeyouwin.com, B-E-F-O-R-E-Y-O-U-W-Y-N. And why I say that is that if you go there, you're going to get a white paper, something that I wrote. It's, uh, it's called How Not to Blow It Just Before You Win. Mm. It's something that we all need to understand because I've seen this a million times where a person gets just on that place where they're ready to make this huge transformation and then they do what they did previously that didn't work, that disabled them from getting from where they are to where they wanted to go. I want to make sure that that never happens again. Please go there, beforeyouwin.com, to get the how not to blow it just before you win. But also, while you're waiting for that to be transferred into your email inbox, there is a video on my a process called the Goal Achievement Roadmap that will share with you some of the things that we've talked about here, but a little bit more in depth. And I think you'll, you'll find that invaluable. Thanks, Jason. Hey, you're welcome. So beforeyouwin.com is where you can find Dr. Jeff Spencer. Are you on any of the socials? I'm all over the place. Uh, uh, it's, uh, um, yeah, just Dr. Jeff Spencer for everything. Okay. <laughs> you'll get in touch with me. Yep, D-R-J-E-F-F-S-B-E-N-C-E-R. It's all there. All right, guys. So uh, if you are into hacking your peak performance, hacking the champion mindset, uh, you know, Dr. Jeff Spencer isn't just somebody that's out there speaking it. He has lived it. He's lived it in his own life as an Olympic athlete, as a champion. He has lived it with some of the most amazing people at the top of their game. And he is living it today, continuing to help others out there move that needle. So Dr. Jeff Spencer, thank you, brother. I appreciate you as a friend. I appreciate you as a peak performer, a motivator, an inspirer, a father. We need more of that. We need more of that right now, more than ever in this country, in this world. Uh, I, I have a saying that's coming out of my new program. It is that we need more leaders. We need more point men. And one of the great things that a point man is 
They are a light in the darkness. So many other people are in the darkness. They're waiting for somebody else to come along and shine the light on them. But leaders, peak performers, they create their own light. Dr. Jeff Spencer, you are a light in the darkness, brother. I love it. So back at you, my brother. All right, welcome back, guys. We are into the after action for Dr. Jeff Spencer. I don't know about you guys. This has been an amazing interview. I really am enjoying. I, I, like I said, Jeff has become a friend. He is a little bit of a mentor for me, helping me as I am building my high-level coaching programs, trying to help people be best versions of themselves. And there is so much information that he's putting out. It, 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 I'll be honest, it was tough for me to go through the interview and pull out what I think are some of the most pertinent, some of the most important, some of the most critical points that help you move the needle. I love this in part two because Jeff gave us insight into global, global peak performers, individual that have, individuals that have moved the needle at the highest level. I was talking about some of the different people that he enjoyed working with, and I love where he talked about, I mean, who doesn't know you too? I mean, iconic music decades. I mean, just legendary music and Bono being out there as a leader, not only of the band, but being heavily involved and using his international celebrity to make a difference in many areas. Uh, and, and one of the things I loved, it gave insight into who they are. Jeff talked about that after every concert, they sat down afterwards and they dissected it. They watched it. They talked about how can we be better? They looked at what they did well and they looked at where they messed up and they said, how do we fix that in the future? Guys, this is the whole reason why we have these after actions for the Moving the Needle show. It's exactly like we did in the SEAL teams. After every mission, whether it was a training mission, whether it was a real world combat mission, we sat down afterwards and we dissected it. We talked about what went great and we talked about what didn't go great. We didn't hold back any punches in this. Uh, and, you know, you left, your, you left your ego on the table and we just said, hey, you know, if someone said to me, hey, Jay, this is where you messed up. And that happens sometimes. And oftentimes, you know, I, I, I would, I don't off, I don't always take criticism well, but I needed to swallow that and say, you know what, you're right, because it is about what's best for the team. And this is what you two understood. And it's what made them one of the most prolific bands in, in modern history that's out there doing it. And Jeff was able to witness this and help shape this. So guys, this is a critical thing. You've got to be introspective with yourself, with your teams. You've got to look back on how you can be better. I also love how he talked about Tiger Woods. He talked about how Tiger understood the fundamentals were critical, even at a champion's level. You know, he would come out there and he would start training and it will all come back to his footwork, his swing, how he followed through, all these different things that for so many of us, we think, man, when you get to the champion level, it's all about these advanced practices. But you have to understand that you can't do the advanced practices until you truly have nailed the fundamentals. I don't know if you remember back a couple episodes, we talked about the Bruce Lee quote, you know, do, you know, where do you want to be the best? Do you do uh, 10,000 kicks and call yourself an expert? Or do you do one kick 10,000 times? That's what leads to perfection. That's what drills these fundamentals in. 
We did this in the SEAL teams. You know, we have some of the best shooters in the world. And when we started shooting, guys, we always followed this crawl, walk, run mindset. And we started out. And if you came and watched us, if you said, hey, we're going to go to the range and we're going to work with the SEAL, some of these top shooters, and we would put all the guys on the line. And at five yards, they would be shooting these three-inch dots. And you'd be like, these are the best shooters in the world. They're shooting five yards away. My grandma could hit that dot but it was about muscle memory. It was about our stance. It was about the draw of the pistol. It was about clearing the holster. It was about leveling. It was about bringing it up to get that, that uh, sight picture. It was about that front sight focus. It was about trigger squeeze. It was about follow through. It was about then executing that second shot. Guys, these are the fundamentals. And whether it's shooting, whether it's golf, whether it's a high-level rock band and performance, they all understand that the fundamentals are critical. And guys, this comes back to those lessons of leadership that I teach. Rule number one, how do you lead yourself? Structure, discipline, process, nailing the fundamentals. So such an important, such an important aspect, whether it's business, whether it's battle, whether it's sports, whether it's, I don't know, whatever it is out there, you've got to work on those fundamentals. I, I really appreciate how deep and personal Jeff got with us because he told us the story about his daughter, adopting his daughter at the, at the she was 10 years old. He was 58. And I mean, he really, he was crushing it. Here he is. He's this global recognized peak performance coach, coaching some of the highest level performers on the planet. And he and his wife decided, you know what? We want to give back. And when he did that, he adopted this daughter that she had just been, she was a highlight of society that oftentimes we're so blessed to live here in the United States of America, to live in a first world country. If you're listening to this and you're from America and you haven't been out in other parts of the world, I got to tell you how fortunate we have it. There are so many parts of the world that just I have seen the most extreme levels of poverty, the most extreme levels of oppression. And this young lady came from some of those most extreme levels of poverty that I witnessed in the hardest regions of Colombia. And Jeff and his wife decided to adopt her. And they recognized the magnitude of the problems that she had. She was so broken. And Jeff realized that if he continued to do the high-level coaching he was doing, he wasn't able to invest in the decision that he had made with his wife to raise and shape this daughter. And guys, this is a really critical thing. I meet so many people who talk about balance in this life. And in life, we go through seasons. And sometimes we have to decide we can't do everything. So sometimes we have to decide what is most important to us. And sometimes we've got to reduce things to put more time into other areas of life that we feel is more important. I talk about this in social leadership. I talk about those outer rings of influence. And at the end of the day, the most important rings in your circle of influence are your closest friends and your family. And so many people miss this. So many people put so much time and effort into those outer rings, those rings of work, those acquaintances, those things that at the end of your life may or may not matter. I look at Steve Jobs, man. When Steve Jobs 
right before Steve Jobs passed away, he talked about how he wished he had gone back and put more time into his personal relationships with his family, with his daughter. Here's a guy who built one of the most successful companies in the world with Apple. And at the end of his life, he didn't say, hey, look at me. I did such a great job building Apple. I'm sure there was pride in that. Instead, he said, I want to invest. I wish I had invested more in my family. And I love the fact that Jeff, as a peak performance coach, so many people would say, oh, well, you must have no problem raising your kid. You you know, they must be (laughs) awesome. But he didn't. He struggled. And he recognized, I'm going to have to stop doing what I love because right now, my daughter and my wife, and we made this commitment to make this happen. So his new mission wasn't high-level coaching. It wasn't the Olympics. It wasn't coaching these elite peak performance performers. It was successfully raising a damaged daughter to be a successful, amazing human being. And guys, if you are a parent, I want to tell you that is one of the most critical jobs you will ever have, especially in this day and age. We're inundated with negativity. We're inundated with division. You know, your job as a parent is to raise a successful human being for them to be able to to get out into the world and make good decisions and help people and be successful and give back where they can. And and I feel like so many parents out there are are missing out on this. They're they're losing this. this war to try and help people, if you will. So I love the fact that Jeff went all in on his daughter and he stopped coaching for years. And now she is a beautiful young lady. I, I met her on a, uh, virtually, Jeff and I, he introduced me to her on one of our calls. And I love the fact that he said, I went all in because I knew this needed to be my front sight focus. This needed to be the most important thing I did. And he said, it was the hardest thing I ever did. But guess what? When Dr. Jeff Spencer finally closes his eyes for the last time, he's going to look back on his life and he's not going to have regrets and say, man, I wish I had invested more time in my daughter. He's going to know I did the right thing. I helped some amazing people. And most importantly, the most, uh, the most important people in my life, those inner rings he invested and made a difference in. All right, guys, uh, I want to talk about the last thing, Jeff's word of the day. His word of the day was Courage. And man, so powerful. I think sometimes we think about courage is, you know, these heroic things that we read about on the battlefield. Uh, hero is a word that I hear thrown around a lot. And I, I do agree that there are certain things, I think sometimes it's overused. I think there are things that people list people as heroes when, I don't know, they're maybe doing their job. I mean, people have tried to label me as a hero. I'm no hero. I did my job. Uh, my teammates are definitely much more of the heroes. My team leader specifically who risked his life to come out and save my life. Um, but what Jeff talked about is courage is to take action despite overwhelming compulsion to give in to our human nature of self-preservation and fear. That's incredible, guys, because so often I watch individuals who they don't have the courage to do the right thing. They don't have the courage to stand in the face of popular opinion and and to say, I don't agree with that. And courage is staying true to your conviction, staying true to your beliefs. Jeff talked about there's only one of us in all creation. You have these amazing, unique gifts 
And, and you, you need the courage to believe in yourself, to believe in those gifts, and to give your gifts back to society. Even if other people out there say, you know, we don't agree with what you're doing, at least they will view and appreciate you for the conviction and the courage to stand up to uh, the things that you don't believe in and to stand for the things you do. So guys, I highly encourage you, build that courage within yourself. Don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to stand for something that you believe in, even if it's not in the face of popular opinion. You know, we live in this cancel culture. Stand for what you believe in, man. Do it. Have that courage. Don't be average. Never settle. Never peak. Jeff said it, man. There is always room at the there's always room at the top for the best. I love this. I love that. So guys, man, so many amazing pieces of information on how to be an elite performer. Uh, Dr. Jeff Spencer has worked with some of the best. If you are looking for more information about him, go to drjeffspencer.com. And then if you want, go to uh, beforeyouwin.com. He has that free handout, How Not to Blow It Just Before You Win. He talked about how to build that winning mindset, learn how to win. He said the rest will fall into place. I thought it's a great write-up. I have it myself. I think it's fantastic. So, guys, that is Jason Redmond's Moving the Needle with Dr. Jeff Spencer. I want to say thank you for all of you who are enjoying the show, who are enjoying our guests. Let me know if you know of a high-level influencer, leader, entrepreneur, athlete, someone out there who has set the bar high, who has overcome adversity, who continues to lead, and most importantly, moves that needle every day. If you like this show, please go to iTunes, click on that subscribe button, hit that share button, tell your friends about it. Tell them, hey man, if you want to hear a great podcast, there's so many out there. Tell them this is a good one. It'll make you feel better. It'll make you uh, help you move the needle in your life. Do us a favor, click on that five-star review. Tell us why you love the show. I would greatly appreciate it. And I will see you guys on the next Moving the Needle in two weeks. This is Jason Redman and I am out.